Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. Entitled, Overcoming uh, the Emptiness of Dissatisfaction. Overcoming the Emptiness of Dissatisfaction. And uh, I want to talk to you about uh, this message, share with you just uh, this word that the Lord's really been talking to me about, about dealing with um, dealing with and overcoming um, the, the attempts of the enemy to, to settle into a place of emptiness as a result of dissatisfaction, of not being fully, uh, fully satisfied in the revelation of our identity in Christ, of who God's called us to be, of what His Word says about our lives. The enemy has... Um, has his opinion, our world has our opinion of us, and uh, we ourselves even sometimes have an opinion of who we think we are and the perspective that we hold. And if we're not careful, the enemy can use, uh, can use those, those things that we value and those things that we have, or better yet, the things that we evaluate and the ways that we measure ourselves and the way that we measure uh, our, our status in life and our situations and our circumstances to the point that we really can begin to battle. We can really begin to, to find ourselves in this place and in this, in this tug of war of really finding the peace that God's intended us to have, to walk in the love and the fullness of what God said. I, I love what the Apostle Paul said when he said that he's, he's found his life, whether he has little or whether he has much, to be in a place of always being content, to walk in the contentness of the love of God, of understanding that my life is not measured by the physical parameters that the world sets. It's not measured by the standards that I would put or that the rest of the world would put for having success or having enough or having, but my life is measured by what the Word of God says of what His plan of His purpose and His promises are for me. And so I want to share this with you, and I, the, the verse or the chapter that I want to share with you today is Psalm 16. It starts off in verse number 1. It says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Tell your neighbor, I will not be shaken. Now preach with me like you got some freedom in your life. Amen? Tell them, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just welcome your Holy Spirit as we continue to dive into your word today to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would fill every person in this place, every person that's joining us online today 
with joy in your presence. God, I pray those who may be on empty today, Lord, who may feel that they have nothing else, Lord, to run on in their life, that, Lord, that may be exhausted, tired, weary, Lord, from the battles, from the trials that they've been through. I pray today that your presence, just like Austin asked a moment ago, that your love would overwhelm in this house today and the lives of every person that's joining us today. God, I pray that joy would be restored and that peace would be renewed pray that the hope, God, would be fixed on you, that our eyes would be fixed on you, that, Lord, we would walk in the joy and in the peace and in the glory of your love, of your presence and the salvation that you've given us. Lord, we ask that your anointing would flow in this place today, that, Lord, every word that's spoken, Lord, would be your words and your words alone, that, God, we would hear from heaven and leave this place knowing that we've met with you. God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Overcoming the emptiness of dissatisfaction. As I was praying over this message and just reflecting over this, I couldn't help but think of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a man who was called by God to speak on God's behalf in the Old Testament days, and he was especially positioned at a unique time when there were uh, a designated king and, and queen that were serving as leaders over Israel. They were wicked. They didn't follow the Lord. They served other gods. And uh, Elijah, more oftentimes than not, was charged with instructions from the Lord to deliver a word from God uh, of repentance, to deliver a word of God of what he was saying, of what he was calling, of what he was decreeing to his people. And I couldn't help but think of that encounter that Elijah had uh, that day with, uh, with, with King Ahab and with the, uh, with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And if you've never read this story before, I'm just going to give you a brief overview of it. Basically on that day, it was a setup, it was a divine appointment uh, by the Lord to basically show himself to be the God of Israel, to be the God uh, of, of all nations, to be the God, the creator of heaven, the only living God is our God. Amen. And so this day was set before, and so the prophets of Baal were determined, and and Elijah uh, presented them with this cause to, to build an altar and to offer a sacrifice and to call on Baal to send fire down to consume the sacrifice. And so the prophets of Baal did all of their things that they do and all of their routines and their rituals and everything that they did and again and again and again and, and nothing happened. And so when Elijah's turn came up uh, to call down fire from heaven from our God, the living God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, the God who has called us out of darkness into light, he steps up and he actually has them dig a trench around the altar, a, a trench around the sacrifice that was there. There. And he had him cover the sacrifice in water. He had him fill that trench up with water. And when the time came, he called on the Lord and he called fire down from heaven to show that God was the one true God. And in that moment, God sent fire from heaven and he didn't just consume the sacrifice, but he licked up all the water that was all the way around that sacrifice. And immediately, everyone that was there knew that our God was alive, that he was on the throne. And Elijah witnessed this incredible moment, this incredible encounter, and he instructs the the men of God, the followers of God, of our God, to, to, to immediately put to death all the prophets of Baal, those who had led the people of Israel away from God. And he gives that instruction, and Ahab and Jezebel issue a decree to Elijah to let him know 
basically that his life is over, that they've issued an, an attempt to destroy, to kill him, to destroy his life. And here Elijah's witnessed this incredible, miraculous, impactful moment with the Lord. And, 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 and as soon as that moment's over, and as soon as he hears that the king and queen have set out to kill him, he begins to, he begins to run. And begins to run for his life. And what happens not long after that is we find Elijah in a place of being on empty. We find Elijah being in a place of, of being overwhelmed with, with the emptiness and the dissatisfaction of what happens when our life is filled with emptiness. Why? Because Elijah had poured out his obedience to God. He poured out his love for the Lord. He he'd stood for what God had said and he had witnessed the miraculous of God. But in a moment's notice, in a, in a, in a flip and a quick turn of events, Elijah finds himself in a place of, of wanting basically for God to just end his life. He's convinced that no one else is willing to fear the Lord, to follow to serve the Lord, he's, he's found himself in a place of having given all he has and feeling as if there is, uh, there is no, no answer uh, to those who would repent, to, who, to those who would follow after God, to those who would see God's call and God's decree come in his life. And I got to thinking about Elijah's experience and Elijah's faithfulness and Elijah's obedience to see the things of God happen. And, you know, I got to thinking about for so many of us who said yes to the, to the love of God and to the plan of God that he has for our life and stepping out in obedience of what God has said and finding ourselves in those trials, having witnessed some incredible things that God has done, having witnessed how God has, has continued to provide and how God has continued to heal and how God has continued to do the things that he, would set, that he said he would do. And even in the evidence of the goodness of God, even in the evidence of the love of God, even in the evidence of the plans and the purposes and the word of God in our life, there are so many times that we can find ourselves, just like Elijah, empty, overwhelmed, to the point that we are we, we have no longer experienced the satisfaction of the presence of God and the love of God in our life because of the emotional toll, because of the heaviness and the weariness and the, and the battles that we face and the trials that we've gone through. And, and this morning, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is reminding us that in His presence is the refreshing that we need. In His presence is the place that we find the fullness and the satisfaction of all that we need to know that God is with us us, that God is for us, that God is fulfilling his plans and his purposes in our lives to overcome the emptiness of dissatisfaction, to overcome the lies of the enemy that say there are none who still fear him. There are none who are still following after him. There are none that are still going after what he said to overcome the lies of the enemy to say that we'll never see a change, that we'll never see a transformation, that we'll never see God's glory and his presence poured out in our lives, to overcome the lies of the enemy, to say that we can never walk in the freedom and the purposes and the plans of what God has established for us, to overcome the attempts of the enemy, to get us to settle in the place that we are, or to come to the point of saying, God, I just can't go any further because I found myself empty, longing for something more. 
I love what David says in Psalm chapter 16 in this revelation of Scripture and this revelation of the Word of God because it's in these moments that we find ourselves in a place and in a situation and a circumstance of facing emptiness that we realize that overcoming this emptiness, overcoming the dissatisfaction that we face is not about how we can do it on our own, but about how we can rely on the power of God and of His Word to walk in the revelation of who He is and what, he, what He's purposed and what He's promised in our lives. I love what David David says, he said, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. You notice that when Elijah was at the end of his rope, when he was at the end of everything that he faced, that, that he told God that he was done. He went to the Lord. He told the Lord. And I love God's response. I love that God's response wasn't, quit, quit acting like a baby, get up and get with it. You know? Sometimes you have those moments, you like, you, even with ourselves, we tell ourselves, you got to quit this, just come on, let's go. I love that that wasn't God's response. God's response was love. You know what the first thing that God did for him? He fed him. You ever seen that Snickers commercial, You're Not You and You're Hungry? Yeah, some of y'all are looking at your neighbor right now, that's you, you need to eat. Tell your neighbor, you need to eat. One of the biggest problems in our life is that when we become tired and we become weary, it's that place that we begin to find ourselves in that, in that place of emptiness. It's that moment that we begin to, to experience the dissatisfaction. Why? Because we don't have what we need in order to be able to continue to press on. I feel like after some of the things that some of you have been walking through and some of the battles and some of the trials that you faced, especially over this last year, I think all of us could testify that it's taken more of an emotional, more of a, uh, more of a mental toll than what maybe even some of us realize. And I think that in some of the, some of the battles and some of the trials and some of the situations that we face, it's easy for us to forget that at times in our life we will find ourselves in a place where we are running on empty. But friends, I'm here to tell you today, Jesus didn't leave you and I didn't in a place, in a situation, in a circumstance where we would have to deal with that emptiness and that faction on our own, but he called us to a place where we can walk in the fullness of his presence and of his love, to know that in those moments where we find ourselves tired and weary, that it's in his presence that we can take refuge, that it's in his presence that we find the safety that we need to open our hearts up to God and begin to share those frustrations, those fears, those uncertainties, those difficulties that we're walking through. David goes on in verse number two, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have have no good thing. How can I overcome the emptiness, the dissatisfaction that I face in my life? Number one is this. Realize that apart from God, there is nothing. Tell your neighbor nothing. There is nothing that satisfies. There is nothing in this life that will bring you and I the satisfaction and the fullness that we need. I love the way my youth pastor used to put it, our former pastor here. There's this God-shaped hole in our hearts that every single one of us have that only that he can fill. And the reality of that is, is it's true. Why? Because there is nothing in this life that will bring you peace. There is nothing in this life that will bring you fullness. There is nothing in this life that will bring me satisfaction like the love of Jesus Christ. There's a change that happens in my life when I step into the love of God because I realize that there is nothing in this world that will ever bring me the fullness that God intended and designed me to have, which is fellowship with Him, to walk in His love and His peace and in His presence. There's not enough money in the world. There's not enough, there's not enough of any 
anything, any substance, anything in this world that can bring me the fullness and the satisfaction that I need. I can chase it all of my life and still be miserable and lonely on the inside. Why? Because nothing satisfies like God. Apart from God, there's nothing that I have that's good. Why? Because everything that I have is because of His love for me. Everything that I have is because of His love for me. Apart from God, there's nothing that satisfies. Sure, in the moment it satisfies. Sure, in the moment it feels good. I I love what Proverbs says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. In a moment, it can provide a great deal of satisfaction and joy, but, 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 but things are never enough. And we can pursue and we can chase after and we can run after all of those things, but at the end of the day, none of them bring that satisfaction. <laughs> we can buy a brand new truck tomorrow, but in five years, it's old. Older every day, that's exactly right. How much do you lose when you drive off a lot? With Maybe not as much right now. I, I hear they're offering a pretty good deal for a trade-in that you can just about make your money on them with the shortage that there's been. But, but in, in, most, in most concepts of life, we chase after all of these things, and when we finally get there, they don't feel like we thought they would. Why? Because what we were looking for wasn't the thing. It was the satisfaction that comes from having it. And the reality is, is there's only one thing that satisfies, and it's Jesus. His love for us is the only thing that satisfies and brings us peace apart from God. Apart from Him, I have no good thing, David said it. When I overcome the, the, overcoming the emptiness of dissatisfaction is that moment that I realize that without God, there's nothing that brings the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that my heart longs for. Secondly, I have to stop pursuing the gods of this world. I have to stop pursuing the gods of this world. He says this in in verse number 4. He says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I I, I think that that more oftentimes than not, we begin our lives on this journey and this pursuit of of trying to to reach dreams or expectations, either that we've put on ourselves or that others have put on us. And we find ourselves in this, in this, constant, in this constant pursuit of those things. And, and, and those things never bring us the peace and they never bring us the satisfaction that we're looking for because, they're, because if they're not from the Lord, if they're not the plans that God has for us, then they only lead us to more frustration, to more aggravation, to more difficulty than what we had. Why? Because more oftentimes than not, we're pursuing things, we're striving after things that can never bring us to a place of resting and what God has said and what God has purposed. I love a good plan. Anybody that knows me knows that I love a good plan. Hate it when there's not a plan, right? You know, I like to, I like to know what the plan is so that I can, not only that I know the expectations that are of me, but the, that I can meet the expectations that others have, I, that I can do what needs to happen. I like, a, I like a plan. I like to know that there's a plan, you know. There's a plan after service. We're eating. Amen? That's the plan. We're going to eat. And I can give you more details about that, and I will at the end of service, because there's a plan. I like a plan. I like to know what the plan is. You know, one of the things that frustrates us in life is that we don't always know God's plan. And we find ourselves in this place of trying to make our plan and have God say that it's His plan, and we find ourselves in this difficulty and this frustration, and a lot of times we get ahead of the Lord. 
and we get frustrated when we feel like God's not doing what we, what we wanted or what we expected of Him, but all the while forgetting that His plans are perfect, that His ways are higher than ours, that, that if we'll trust God, if we'll, if we'll rest in His plan, if we'll follow the instruction of what He's given us today, that we can actually walk in the peace, that we can walk in the joy, that we can walk in the revelation of knowing of who God is, what He's established, and what He's purposed for us. When I'm walking in the plan that God has, it eliminates the frustration because God knows what's next. So when I stop pursuing the gods of this world, well, Connor, what do you mean, the gods of this world? What are, what, what are, what are the gods of this world? The, the, things that, the things that drive our time, our attention, our resources. The things that we give, the, the things that we, that we submit ourselves to, if, if those are the first priority in our lives, they will always rob us of the satisfaction and the peace of what God has for us. Because ultimately, following the plan of God, following the purpose of God, pours out the peace of God in our life. It establishes a a home that is that is full of the love of God. If you're married, a marriage that's full of love. If you have kids, a family that has that has a a family unit that's functioning or under the the. The plan and the word of God and and the structure that God designed, experiencing the blessings and the promises of that. If it's a job, if it's a business that that you that you serve in, that you work in, that you own, that you operate, you have revelation from the Lord as you follow the plans that God has established. You experience the blessings, the provision, and peace. Why? Because we realize that everything I have comes from God. And when I'm no longer pursuing the gods of this world and trying to measure up to the standards of what everyone else has, has said or what everyone else thinks or what everyone else says is success or what everyone else says is the way that it has to be done or the steps that, it ha- that have to be taken, I stop putting myself in a place of, of, of unimaginable pressure. And I find myself resting in the peace of knowing that I'm following the steps that God has given me. And I'm walking in the joy and the peace and the glory of the presence of what God has. It's that moment that I stop allowing the world and I stop allowing others to to have the the defining say over my life. And that I remember what the word of God says, what his plans and what his purposes are. When I realize that apart from God there's nothing that satisfies and I stop pursuing the gods of this world, then I can walk in the salvation, identity, and inheritance that God has given us. I love what he goes on to say. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What happens in our life when we say yes to the love of God and to the plans and the promises of what he has is that we begin to experience the satisfaction of his presence. It's why the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, has the testimony that he does when he faces setback after setback and what the world would define as failure after failure. Paul goes on a missionary journey and has a shipwreck. Imagine, we send a missionary and the report back is he never made it. But in that shipwreck, God ultimately set Paul on the path and the plan of what he had established and used part of that story, used part of that plan. A missionary that we send out onto the field to share the gospel. How much time did Paul spend in prison? Yet in every single one of those moments, what the world may define as a failure or a setback or a difficulty or a... All in those moments, God was fulfilling His plan and God was bringing about the fulfillment of His purpose. Many of the letters that Paul wrote that are part of the Word of God that we, that we 
cling to, that we adhere to, that we follow after today, came from those places that Paul spent in captivity, yet God was still pouring out revelation, the gospel was still being preached, and the church was still being established. Even in those moments, Paul was still getting to see the salvation of those who would say yes to the love of Jesus Christ, the healing, deliverance, and freedom of what God had purposed, of what God had established, of what God had planned. When I step into the salvation that God has given me, and I begin to walk in the identity of what Christ has said about my life. It's that moment that I can really walk in the inheritance of what God has made available, where my life is no longer defined by my past, by my sin, by my failures, by my mistakes, but my life is defined by who I am as a child of God, that I realize that I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwelling in me, that I can walk in the same authority, the same peace, the same joy, the same presence that Jesus was preaching about, that he was teaching about on the days that he walked on the face of the earth, to be the light that he's called us to be in the midst of darkness, and to realize that I am not just, I'm not just wandering my way through this life, I'm not just wandering my way through this world, but I'm walking in the plans and the purposes and the promises of God, that while there may be difficulties and there may be trials and there may be hardships, I am not alone. Why? Because he with me and that in the moments that I find myself empty, in the moments that I find myself overwhelmed, in the moment that I find myself surrounded, I remind myself of what the Word of God said, what David said, like in Psalm 23, to know that God leads me into the pastures that He's established, that He leads me beside those still waters, that He is the one that restores my soul, that even in the presence of my enemies, that He prepares a table before me, that my cup runneth over. Why? Because when I'm following Jesus, when I'm walking in the identity as a child of God, when I'm experiencing His presence, His glory, and His goodness in my life, it's those moments that I begin to experience who I am as a child of God and the fullness of His Word coming to pass in my life like never before. As fourthly, it means that I can finally drink from the living water and eat the bread of life. I want to as I was thinking about this, this verse that, that David talks about in, in, verse number, in, in verse number 6, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. It really led me back to that place in Psalm 23 where he talks about uh, the table that the Lord prepares for us in the presence of our enemies and that our cup overflows. And the significance of that is, 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 so, is so powerful because what, what we realize is that everything that we have comes from God. The cup that God has given us, the portion that God has given us, and that it overflows. It signifies that God is our source, that God is our provider. I think so many times we, 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 try, to, we try to live in this place as, as believers of trying to be the, the sole provider of our lives, to, to provide the answers to the situations and the difficulties or the struggles that we're facing, and to realize that it's not, it's not up to us to come up with the answer. It's up to us to listen for the next step that God would have. Why? Because He is the answer. God's the one who's given me my life. God is the one who provides in my life. So while there are steps that I take, whether it's the job that I have or the things that I do or whatever it is, I listen to the instructions that God is giving and I respond in obedience and I watch as God continues to supply, as God continues to provide, as God continues to do what only he can. But I got to thinking about that and I thought, you know, there's so many times in our life where we feel surrounded, where we feel hopeless, where we feel like we're never going to see a breakthrough, where we're never going to see this season 
or this situation or this circumstance of our life change. And it leaves us with this feeling of emptiness. It leaves us with this feeling of dissatisfaction. And overcoming that comes to a place of drinking from the living water and eating the bread of life, of experiencing the fullness of what God has said. Connor, what are you talking about? And drinking from the living water. This is what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, uh, or in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then in John chapter 10, verses, or John chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, would you not have asked him and he would have given you living water? Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The living water is the water of the salvation that God has for us, of, of Jesus Christ himself, of experiencing his love and his presence in our lives. When I find myself in a place of emptiness and I find myself in a place of dissatisfaction, when I turn my attention to the Lord, when I take that pain, when I take that frustration, when I take that disappointment, when I take that feeling of, of, of being completely unsettled, and being completely dissatisfied and I enter into the presence of Jesus and I begin to take hold of the salvation of what he's given me. It's then that the refreshing water of heaven begins to flow. It's then that when I was tired and weary and exhausted that the living water began to bring back the life of who I am as a child of God of the salvation that Jesus made available to me. It's the moment that I begin to read the word of God that I receive the bread of life, the word of God, the power of his word my life that I realize that my life is not defined by the standards and by, by the, the rules and the regulations of this world, but my life is defined by who I am as a child of God, that my life is defined by the identity that I have in Jesus Christ, to walk in the refreshing of his presence and to know that I am who he says that I am, that I am who he says that I am, that my life is determined, that my life is driven by that place. It's the moment that I begin to praise the name of Jesus, that I begin to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that my, my, my attitude and my, my life begin to reflect not the pain and the frustration of the place that I'm in, but the joy of His presence and His love that's begun to overwhelm, that I begin to experience His peace and His glory and the life that He has for me and the fullness of what He's established. Why? Because I understand that He, has, that he alone is my portion in my cup, that in him my lot is secure, that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and that I have a delightful inheritance. I can drink from the living water and eat from the bread of life. It's in those moments that I begin overcoming the emptiness of dissatisfaction. Why? Because he's begun to fill me with his presence and his love once again. He's begun to fill me with a reminder of what his word says about my life and the situations that I face. To know that he is my healer, that he is my deliverer, that he is my defender. That in every situation, in every circumstance, that he is at work. That he is moving to fulfill his plans, his purposes, and his promises in my life. And fifthly, how can I overcome the emptiness of dissatisfaction? I have to rest secure in the joy 
the peace and the provision of his presence. I love what he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. In, in Psalm 16, verse 7, even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you have not abandoned me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The, the, the revelation, the testimony of this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said when he came to the earth, when he paid the ultimate price for my sin, for your sin on the cross, when he defeated death, hell, and the grave, that we can rest in the promise, that we can rest and secure in the joy and the peace of his presence, knowing that he is our everything. That my life is defined not by who I think that I am, not by who others think that I am, not by my circumstances or my situations, but by what God has said. Because it's in those moments that I find myself walking in the peace and in the confidence of what God has said and of what God has established. And instead of allowing the enemy's lies to, to, to try to, to put me in this place of captivity, in this place of, of emptiness and dissatisfaction, it's the moment that I step back into his presence, that I step into his love, that I go back to that place where Jesus called me out of darkness into light, into the fullness of his love, into his grace and of his mercy, to experience his joy, to experience his peace, to experience his love everlasting. I love that when Elijah found himself empty and he found himself at a place of complete and full dissatisfaction, we see the journey that God takes him on, and, and God, God brings, brings him, and, and he's at this place where he's told the Lord that he's done, and he found himself a broom tree that he sat under, and he told God, I'm, I'm through, just take my life, I'm done, I'm, I've, I'm at my end. And I love that the Lord's response wasn't, wasn't anything other than love, and God, God showed him that love, God fed him, God gave him something to drink, and God put him back to sleep. Rest is essential to walking in the fullness and the satisfaction that God has for us. So God gave him rest. God got him up again and he gave him something else to eat and, and he fed him and he gave him rest and prepared him for the journey. And God brought him to the place. God brought him to the place where his presence was on the earth. God led him on a journey and he brought him to the place. And in that place, God began to speak to his life and God began to speak to his heart and expose where the lies of the enemies had led him to believe that he was the only one left. And God reminded him not only of who God was, but he reminded him of who he was. And he reminded him that God was still working and that God was still moving to fulfill his plan and his purposes. Friends, one of the biggest things that the enemy will do in our lives is take the situations and the circumstances that we are facing, the things that we can see, the things that we can feel, the things that we're exposed to and that we're going through, and convince us that God is not at work and that God is not moving. But I'm here to tell you today that when we seek him, we find him. That when we step into his presence, that we encounter his love. That when we walk in the truth of what his word says, when we drink the living water, when we step into his presence and we begin to worship and we begin to praise, that we begin to experience a flood of his presence in our life, that we begin to experience the fullness of who he is, of what he's established and what, have he's, what he's called us to be. And it's in that moment that we experience victory over the emptiness 
of dissatisfaction, that our souls are truly satisfied with the living water, with the bread of life, with the revelation and the truth of who God is and what He said and what He's purposed for us.